This is episode number 73 of the Bird Love Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. Tonight's guest is Tristan Spurway. He has been on the show sharing about his journey before, but this time we take a bit of a different angle. We will look at the other areas of nature that have opened up because of Tristan's birding journey. We'll look at the many areas of nature that excite him, as well as looking at some resources to get you started in your own journey. As always, The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasso bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast to help others to find the show. Please also tell others you know about the show. If you would like to contribute to help us cover the costs associated with hosting the show, you can click on the link in the comment section below of this episode and buy us a coffee or two. So let's hear from today's guest, Tristan Spurway. So Tristan, last time we spoke, we had a good chat about your birding journey and for we're not going to go too much into that today. People can go back and listen to the previous podcast, but since we last chatted, how have things been going with, um, with your birding? Uh, you know, I mean, they've been so-so. I actually haven't really birded since we last chatted. Life got a bit busy, but I got my hands on a, a nice pair of Likers. So that's going to absolutely improve my birding experience by I don't even know how much. Um, and I'm actually getting out tomorrow again. So apart from that, yeah, not much else going on. I know we chatted about this in your last the last episode, but just tell us a little bit about your home patch. Where's your for for you when you got your normal birding? Where's your home patch, and what type of birds do you see on your home patch? Um, well, I've got I've got my home patch here in Pretoria, um, and the one in Hainitzburg, Limpopo. In Pretoria, here uh, I mostly just bird from my household, and I've had some really sick birds. Um, you get Ayers Hawk Eagle flying over. Um, I had crested white crested helmet truck in my garden the other day, which is really sick for Pretoria, um, and. In my Hammersburg Pentad, uh, black front of bush truck, you can, if you really push it, you can get crazy dry acacia species. Um, there's gorgeous bush truck in the Pentad, striped fluff tail, um, buff spotted fluff tail, red chested fluff tail. I mean, just the works. And since the last time, we haven't been in any of the, any of the twitches because there's been some fantastic birds that have showed up around South Africa. No, actually, I've. I want to cry about that uh, lesser white threat, but unfortunately, this one wasn't accessible at the time to me. But, you know, it's fine. There's always a, hopefully going to be another one, maybe in 30, 40 years. But if it's here, I'll go for it this time. It's a bit frustrating because I know your, you know, our positions are a bit different to other people. And a lot of people almost, you know, I almost had someone snidely commenting and ask me, are you really a bird if you haven't chased after that bird? And I thought, you know, it's 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 very frustrating how it's almost become, that's what birding has become. You're not a real birder unless you chase after every bird. But the reality is not everyone has the time, not everyone has the finances. And I don't think it makes you less of a birder if you don't have the means and the time to go chase after every single bird that farts on a, on a, on a line somewhere in South Africa. That's it. Um, and that's exactly how I look at it because birding to me isn't just about shoot the whole shooting the fish in a barrel rarity chasing type thing which I'm, i understand that it does get it is difficult and sometimes but sometimes the birds just sitting there um i think where a lot of the challenge comes in is actually finding your own rarities in your own patches or in other places and getting people to go there and i think it's a lot more important about getting into the field a lot more than actually just spending hundreds of th- or like thousands of rands to chase a singular bird all the time but I think the other side of it is, is all, all birders, including myself, we do like our life list to keep on moving. And honestly, 
my life list has kind of been on pause for quite a while. It does get a little bit frustrating when you see everybody, you know, Trevor Hardaker puts that, that picture out, this guy's life list has gone up to this. And the reality is it's going to take me ages for my life list to grow by another 10. So I, I think it does get a little bit frustrating. And there's there's always a little bit of um, jealousy that comes in, I think. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I've been stuck in the 500s for, I'd say, about three years now because I haven't been able to get out and chase all these birds and that's exactly it. it's very uh, I feel a little bit of jealousy sometimes but then I also remind myself that it gives me extra time to go and find all these birds and a little just that little bit more excitement so what do you do like for me personally because I can't always chase after birds I mean my passion is is atlasing and and honestly I've said this on on, on episodes previously for me to get a rarity no matter how how rare it is there's the the level of satisfaction is a lot less for me than discovering a new bird on on a on a full protocol call. When I say a new bird, it doesn't mean it has to be a a, a crazy um, rarity. For example, just just the other day, I was kind of doing a bit of garden birding, and uh, you know, I, I kind of saw these birds in the tree. Just and I kind of spent a bit of time, and and ended up there was was two grey waxbill in the tree. And and for me, what was so exciting was. Those were new birds for the pentad. It was the first time those birds had been recorded in my pentad, and there was a there was there was a real excitement at me for to to discover those birds. And two day, uh, yesterday, driving, uh, dry had to go to to into Durban to go pick some up. Driving past our local mall, and there was and there was a black wing kite. And and now people say, oh, black wing kite, we see them all the time. But it was the it's only the second time that bird's been recorded in in that pentad. And I think for me that that that's exciting. So how do you, how do you you, you keep the passion so what do you, what do, how does it look like day to day for you so because obviously you're not able to chase after birds but how do you how, how do you keep on keep on birding in the middle of waiting to, to get to see your next lifer you know i, I quite like my white heart listing um i like to chase not chase rarities but i try to find very restricted white heart species and things and even though my white heart list doesn't rival that of some of the much higher listers um it's one of my favorite things to do um and i'd say also just in general atlasing and year listing as well is also something that always gets me lacquer excited just tristan i think what's quite interesting is it's you would probably be cast as a younger generation birder the question is that you know it just seems to me i don't know maybe i'm getting the the impression i've got is wrong but it seems to me like in terms of atlasing that the the broader community of atlases is 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 from the older generation do you think that you would would that be true you think um yeah i actually don't even know if i, I know enough young birders personally to to go about that but i would say most of the young birders that i know do atlas i do think a lot more young birders are more focused on just their life as life as life is rather than completely like logging the same bird every day they go birding type thing so i do think there's that this is space for young birders not to get into atlasing because they're more focused on chasing that high chasing that rarity chasing that lifer yeah i, th- I think that's always a danger you know the, you know the thing is you know it must might sound a bit like a bit of a gripe but the reality is these a lot of guys when they want to go and find a specific species the first place they go to is the sabab website but it's sad that a lot of people that are using the SABAB website on a regular, uh, or regularly, not, not a lot of people, but but some people that are using that website regularly are not actually contributing to it by doing atlasing. Yeah, um, I actually know quite a few stories of people going in and just finding finding birds even on private uh, property using using uh, SABAB. But I mean, there's always going to be those people with, with such a nice app that, that uh, BirdLass is, people are going to take advantage of it. So yeah, something I want to look at, we, we did chat about your birding a lot in the last episode, but uh, 
what what's really interested me in is that how birding opens up doors for so many different areas. And I know a lot of birders are into herping and are into dragonflies and are into butterflies and are into botany and all these different areas. And a lot of them, their journey didn't start with those things. Their journey started with birding. So I want to look at your journey because I've been really fascinated as we've been chatting about the different areas that you are interested in in terms of nature. So did you start as a birder or when your birding journey started, did you have other areas of interest that, uh, did you have other areas of interest in nature? You know, like I actually started with mammals since, since the age of three, basically I've been heavily into mammals. Um, I could, I'd say about by the age of 12, I could name any mammal, any of the larger mammals anywhere on earth. And I still can thanks to younger me. And I, you know, I was reading through bird books every now and then just to look at the pretty photos of Nerina Trogans and things, but I was never really into birding. Um, and then by the age of about 15, I got a nice camera. I started taking photos of birds and I was like, wow, this is cool. And then from there, the birds got me into the plant because I realized that birds are dependent on plants and frogs and reptiles and it just expanded heavily from there so one of the your passions which is which i find is really interesting is growing and collecting succulents so tell us about how this passion started because it's quite an interesting hobby for someone your age to be into um yeah i think by interesting you mean nerdy um (laughs) and a lot of my things my friends think so too but um yeah it's it's a very specific genuses that i like to collect Uh, obviously i sustain them i mean i get them sustainably i buy them from sustainable nurseries, etc. But um, yeah, I'm actually more focused on aloes and euphorbias. And I, I don't really know how I got into it. Um, I think I just saw uh, my one friend, Jordan Ralph, he, he was so passionate about it. And he had this glow in his face whenever he saw his plants flowering and things. And I was like, wow, I want to try this. And then he gave me some pups um, from his aloes. And yeah, I planted them and they were successful. And now every time I see, every year I see uh, my plants flower, I get a little bit of extra happiness. Yeah, and you spoke about there that your favorite genus is of succulent is Euphorbia. So for those who have never heard about this genus, tell us what makes it so special. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot uh, that's cool about Euphorbias. Um, and I'd say basically where it, where it starts is whenever you're in, let's say, a place like Polokwane um, or even in the Kruger, you'll see these massive, uh, what people would call cactuses. And they're actually Euphorbias. They're actually a tree, right? And it's these huge, up to like, 10 meter tall trees with just spines on them and they're incredible and they you don't really see the flowers well up close but from a distance sometimes they're just covered in just yellow flowers and the birds love them and all of those and what makes it even cooler is that you get something from those huge like cooper's euphorbias to tiny 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 micro euphorbias that you can only find in a tiny distribution in the cape or a small mountain range in limpopo and restricted species like that just fascinate me beyond measure so are you interested in other areas of botany or just um, just succulents? Um, no, I'm interested in a lot of areas of botany. So trees, I absolutely love trees. I'd like to get into the different types of flowering plants, like certain uh, genuses, because there's just way too many. And I also really like aquatic plants because I actually keep aquariums and things. So uh, yeah, other than that, I'm not, but I'd like to get into a lot more. So what are some tips that you can give for people that want to grow succulents? Because, you know, for me, it's just a fantastic way. And I've seen you share me some videos of your garden and that, and it's already a fantastic way to bring nature into your garden. So what are some tips that you can give for people that want to grow their own? So I I mostly just wing it, (laughs) but what I've been doing seems to have worked. So, so I'd say make sure one, you do not overwater. 
what a lot of people will think is you have to water recycling every day, especially in winter and et cetera, et cetera. But what you should rather do is just always check that soil, make sure it's damp. If it's just damp, that's okay. You don't want the roots to rot away. You don't want to drown your plant, any of that, um, which also that, that ensure that your soil has ample drainage. Um, what I've also noticed is that a lot of my succulents, uh, especially the ones that come from rockier environments, will actually do better with some rocks mixed in in the soil and stuff because that those poor spaces actually assist in the type of water movement that they like. And I'd say also just do a lot of research. Check what um, check how much sun your your plants need. Ensure that if it's a plant coming from a winter rainfall area that you account for that, or just make sure that it can it will be okay in a summer rainfall area because that is also a huge issue. I remember going with a well-known birder in the birding community and they said to me that one thing that they that somebody spoke to them a while ago about is that as your knowledge of trees grows, that it'll actually improve your birding. And, you know, as you've grown in this area of botany with trees and plants and succulents and that, do you feel that it has had a positive impact in your birding? If it has, how has it positively impacted your birding? Without a doubt. Like, it is, it's not even just knowing the, this, the plants themselves but just the in general environment like if i'm seeing i don't know let's say certain type of fig tree i know that this is good for this 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 type of butterfly this this and this if you, it, it gives you an agenda on the habitat and uh yeah with with general uh, habitat you can kind of say okay cool this type of button quail is going to be here because this vegetation is here and you'll find if you really trawl that place long enough you'll find that button quail and I mean, you, you'll, you'll, if you start understanding the fr fruiting times of these trees, you'll know when's best to look for this species and what birds will be attracted when. Yeah, something I remember right, going right back to the beginning when I had Trevor Trevor Hodick on one of my first podcast episodes, and I asked him, you know, what is the best piece of a piece of advice and gift to birders? And the thing that he said is is that you need to understand habitats, and it's something I've learned. You know, as you, I, I'm I'm probably I'm nowhere near where you are in terms of botany, but. I can go to a place, I can go to a specific habitat, and the the more I'm growing as a bird and understanding habitat, the more it, 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 it works. You can go to a place and without picking up your bird book, without going on SABAP or anything, you can straight away pick up the species that you'd expect to see there. And it's, you know, that, that thing you're saying about learning habitat is probably one of the most important steps that any new birder can take. Because I think as soon as you go into a place, you're straight away able to, um, you know, quite accurately accurately predict what's going to be seen there so and, and also what could possibly be seen in the future yeah 100 percent. it's it's actually i'd i'd put it up with there with how important knowing the jizz of a bird is because let's say i'm seeing what looks like i don't know a type of like a raptor i can see the shadow of the raptor as i'm driving past if i know that that raptor occurs in this type of habitat then i can kind of pin down to one or two species rather than the 10 species that it could be so it's extremely extremely important to know that so you spoke on the last podcast about your love for herping. Now, a lot of birders I know are a little bit scared of snakes. So can you tell us about this hobby and why you find it so attractive? Well, firstly, to all those birders that are scared of snakes, just remember that snakes aren't out to get you. They aren't out to bite you. Um, I've never had a snake bite me unprovoked. <laughs> um, and really, there's actually very few snakes that will actively kill you if they bite you. So there's, we need to first sort that out. But um, in terms of the actual hobby itself, it's it ties in quite well with my birding because I will go up on this mountain and look under rocks and look in crevices for for really cool reptiles. And while I'm doing that, I can listen out with my ears, hear what birds are coming, see some birds fly over and just get, I can do all of all these things at once. And it 
kind of extends the enjoyment in the field because I'm not getting bur- bored because I'm not seeing enough birds and I'm not getting bored because I'm not seeing enough reptiles because I'm seeing them both. And a lot of the guys who chase off the butterflies will say the same thing. You kind of bird in the morning and there comes a certain time of the day where the birding slows down. And a lot of times that time where the birding slows down is a fantastic time for butterflies. So, you know, it, it like you said, it by having those different areas of interest, it really adds to your time on the field because when the birding slows down, you just switch over and start looking looking for something else yeah that's exactly it like i wouldn't say i don't really know when the perfect time for herping is on a day i just do it continuously even if i'm wasting my time but yeah that's exactly it so when 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 the sun gets a bit hot the birds stop moving around you can just keep flipping rocks or there might be a there might be something sunbathing and yeah i mean and that's also where plants tie in as well because plants don't move they don't hide away when the sun comes out so you just spend that more time in the field and that more time in the field can actually help you find rare birds because you're out there. Yeah, so I've been actually been reading Vernon Head's book, The The Search for the Rarest Bird in the World, a really fascinating book, and he speaks a lot in there about how nature is interconnected. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier when you spoke about your love of botany and that kind of thing, but you know, like we've spoken about botany, we've spoken about herping, we've spoken all these different things. How, how do you feel that these areas have added value to your journey as a birder? Well, before I comment on that, I just want to say good choice in a book. That book actually was one of the first things that got me into birding as well. I learned a lot of my birding lingo from that book. And I still remember a scene, like a, yeah, a scene, I guess, about wattled ibises in a hotel garden. And that's what absolutely got me hooked because I was like, this sounds so cool. I want to go to Ethiopia. I want to see wattled ibis in the garden. But anyway, um, yeah, I, learning all these plants and things, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's entirely added to my my birding experience but rather made the entire experience more enjoyable because if i'm out in uh let's say mabusa and i and it gets hot and i'm not seeing anything this exactly goes back to the last thing is that if i'm not seeing anything and i'm looking for plants at the same time it keeps me going just that bit longer so that i can bird for longer and keep my keeps it keeps my brain rolling and doesn't get like my brain doesn't turn off and get bored so i'm always ready for that next rarity so I think what puts a lot of birders off learning the other thing is the other other areas is, and I know this is true for me, so maybe it's not true for everybody. It's hard enough to learn birds. I mean, you're trying to learn flipping LBJs and raptors, and for those that are going on flock, trying to learn um, pelagic birds, and it's it can be quite intimidating because you know it's a lifetime. It like you know literally, and we know there's people who have spent a lifetime dedicating themselves to 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 understanding birds, and you. You're learning all these birds and you're studying all these birds and they're difficult enough. Now you're saying, okay, dude, now you got to learn plants and now you got to learn butterflies and now you got to learn dragonflies and all these different areas. And it can be quite intimidating. You know, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to learn dragonflies now and it's, 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 it's quite difficult. So how do you feel that birders can grow into those other areas without being overwhelmed what are some practical things that for a birder that's listening it says she's i'd like to grow into one of these areas what 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 do you feel they can do without them being overwhelmed it's yeah it's extremely daunting um i was exactly the same and maybe if i'd uh, focus more on my thing maybe i'd be I wouldn't say a better birder because, I mean, I, I study birds 24-7 basically in between all of this stuff. So it really is possible. But my piece of advice would be don't worry about it's, – it's, these are hobbies. These aren't like – you're not getting paid to do this. Don't get too stressed about it. Focus on your birding and in your downtime when you've just had a little bit too much of that, that guide that you're reading, pick up an aloe guide, pick up a euphorbia guide, read through it, see what's in the area that you're in currently. Maybe you're in the Kruger 
And just while you're birding, just peek at the ground every now and then and see. And when you spot it for the first time, you'll get really excited. Take a photo, identify it. And there you go. You've learned uh, euphorbia species in in between your birding. And it really adds no more pressure. It's just a little bit of extra fun. Yeah, and a little trick that people can do is if you get our naturalist, and this is just a really cool little feature, you get our naturalist, uh, you can actually take a photo of uh, the plant to the, the the succulents and a lot of times it actually you can you can ask it to almost give a suggestion a lot of times the suggestions it gives actually starts pointing in the right direction so it's actually a really fantastic app if looking to start in, in any of those areas yeah I actually I actually just started using iNaturalist about a month ago and I would say get it if you if you enjoy bird lasser get iNaturalist and even if you do know what you're seeing you'll put let's say Let's say I see a, uh, I don't know, a cab sparrow. I'll put it on there. Other people will suggest IDs. And you kind of get to know, if you if you have something that you don't really know, a whole lot of people suggest IDs. And let's say you have three IDs of the same thing, then you kind of understand what's going and you can research it. It's really an incredible app. So we always speak on this um, podcast about bird books. But, you know, for the last uh, question, you know, what are some other books that have inspired your journey? So besides bird books, what are the books that have inspired your journey and, and books that you would in, that you would suggest that people get their hands on if they want to grow in these other areas of nature? Yeah, there's so many. And the thing is, these books really aren't that expensive. People just don't know where to get them. But I just got myself a book. Um, it's called The Succulent Euphorbias of Southern Africa. Um, it came out in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. It's absolutely incredible. It's a fully comprehensive garden, all of our, all of our euphorbias. Everything about it is incredible. It, it's it's I've never I've never found it so easy to identify a plant. And I would say the Aloes of Southern Africa also an incredible book. There's a fish of Southern Africa as well for those that are interested. And it's not just your big tiger fish, your big bass, all of those. It's also like your small little fish like Cape Galaxis and like um uh, like mud fish. And it's very interesting. You it just also opens your eyes to what what our biodiversity really is like. And there's one more book that I have to mention, and that's the, I think it's the Smithers Mammals of Southern Africa, and it's a very, very thick book, um, and it's for those that love mammals, but it has every single thing you need to know about every Southern African mammal. It has, for the most random little bat, it even has the, the molar count, it tells you the behavior. It's an incredible book. It's pricey, but I would definitely take a look at it. Another, another thing, which another book which I really think is a fantastic book, uh, and you know, it's just something not that you mentioned, but I think it's a really fantastic book is Warwick Tarbertson's uh, Dragonflies and Damselflies. And if you can get your hands on that book, that's a fantastic book. I think it's you know, I've, I've I don't know, I've never, I haven't got any other books on dragonflies and damselflies to compare it to, but really, that's a book that I think every birder should have because they, I think dragonflies are absolutely absolutely fascinating. There's something very interesting about them. A lot of times you're sitting at these you know little street or something and waiting for a half got a kingfisher or a malachite kingfisher or whatever to fly past and a lot of times the dragonflies are there and keeping you company it's it's just a great opportunity to start learning what you're looking at yeah actually that's i, I definitely should have mentioned that book but i've actually had it for so long that uh, i actually didn't even think to mention it that book is absolutely incredible it's it's the only reason why my dragonfly list is as high as it is and i would definitely say it's the only one of its kind in southern africa or south africa i, I would say it's 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 definitely one of the best naturalist books out there. And then obviously the other one which is very recommended is Steve Woodall's um, Butterflies of South Africa. That's an absolutely fantastic book. It's another book I think people need to get their hands on. I think if you have these kind of these books added to your library, I think your understanding of nature. And obviously I think also birds is going to grow leaps and bounds. 
yeah, um, I think I'm going to disappoint a lot of people and say that I actually don't have the butterfly book yet. I want to cry every time, but yeah, I'll, I definitely need to get my hands on it. But I mean, it's the only way I start learning about something is if I can actually get my hands on it. Now, no, as soon as I have my hands on the butterfly book, I'm going to start identifying in my garden, in between birding, and it just increases your knowledge like crazy. And I just love what you said there. You know, I think the the statement you made there, we're not being paid for this. You know, go out there, enjoy it. If you don't identify everyone, it doesn't matter. I think just go out there and enjoy, enjoy it. And I mean, if you just understand a few more different species, that's cool. And I think, you know, take the pressure off yourself. And it's not, like you said, it's a hobby. It's it's, me- it's meant to be something we enjoy doing as opposed to something we we do laboriously where, you know, we feel like, oh my word, this is just terrible. <laughs> and, th- and that's it. Like, I know I've had times where I put so much pressure on myself. Like I I actually psych myself out because I'm like, there's too many plants I have to see. There's too many frogs I need to see in this area. There's too many birds I need to see in this area. But just enjoy yourself. Take it one step at a time. And what I would say is it helps to focus on one group and find everything else around that group. So for me, it'd be birds. I'd look for, let's say I'm in Vakastrum. I'll look for a certain, let's say, yellow-breasted pipit and find everything else on my way to finding that bird. Uh, Tristan, thanks for being on the show. It's been fantastic. I know we've got some cool plans coming up very, very soon. <laughs> we just got to get around to that, but it's been fantastic chatting to you again. It's always good. And I encourage people to check you out on um, Instagram. I'll pop the link into the, the comment section of this podcast. And, you know, you put pictures of your birding adventures on there. You put pictures of also just other stuff you you, you get up to. So, yeah, thanks for being on the show. It's been fantastic to chat, bro. Um Always good to have a chat and yeah, we look forward to chatting soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always always a good time. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laugh list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.